Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve, and once again, I'm speaking on behalf of our friend who's not around the table, Sarah, but who we continue to wish well and will be with us, we dearly hope, in the near future. Um, but uh, here we are having conversation. Where are we at? So we've been in a series for several weeks now on weird stories of the Bible. Uh, we have looked in the Old Testament at Jacob and the Witch of Endor. We've looked at several stories uh, from the Book of Acts, from shipwrecks to jailbreaks, uh, people falling out of windows. And so um, where we're heading in probably what is our last episode in this series, Steve. So this is going to be doubly weird. Weird because the story itself is weird and weird because we get it in a place you don't expect stories from. Yeah. Once you leave the book of Acts, you leave the story part of the Bible behind and we get a bunch of other people's mail. We call them, uh, to be fancy about it, the epistles. Um, the ones that Paul wrote and then ones that other people wrote, but epistles. Um, and yet, late in one of Paul's uh, letters, in what we call a Second Corinthians... Paul tells a story that at first kind of sounds like, I know a guy who, and then by the end it goes, oh, and I'm kind of the guy. Like like when people say, I'm asking for a friend, and they're really asking for themselves. So uh, the, the passage you can find this in, to, so that you know it, we're not making it up, is um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has been sort of having a conversation already with the Corinthians that sort of like, turns upside down their old notion of strength and weakness and where God's you know at work and how God can be at work in what looks like weakness or defeat or loss. So it's sort of to, to bolster that argument, he goes on to say, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Little note, we're going to have to come back to what on earth that means. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, which no mortal is permitted to speak. On behalf of such a one, I'll boast, on, I will boast, but not on my own behalf, except on my weaknesses. And then he goes on to say um, uh, that to keep me, and now he's talking about himself, from being too elated... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I therefore am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong." So that, the end of that sounds like Paul, but that mystical part in the middle is, <laughs> so he knows somebody who's probably talking about himself, had some kind of mystical experience, is somehow taken up to experience heaven or has a vision of God, and then also he talks about, well, that was so cool, that would make me real you know, arrogant and boastful that I had such cool visions, so God sent this other thing to me to you know, humble me or you know, let the air out of my sails, uh, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, and he prays for it to be taken away, and it isn't, and God's answer is no, not even no, I'm punishing you, but no, that's not what you need right now. So, as we've said before, that's a weird Bible story. <laughs> so, first off, let's talk about this third heaven bit. Yeah. Here. Because, you know, we, we were talking before this episode, Steve, like, so if there's a third heaven, then what are, what are, what are first and second? Yeah, like, this is one of those places where Paul kind of indirectly gives a hint at how ancient people imagined the universe, mm -hmm. and where contemporary Bible readers need to own. There's a difference between how 
ancient people considered the universe and how modern people consider the universe. And then the follow-up question for Christians who treat the scriptures as authoritative is how much of what Paul assumed do we have to import as well? And how much is it just, this is what they thought, he's not trying to teach this as doctrine, it's just sort of the way they talked about things. So what I've seen, what I've read, suggests that the ancient mindset sort of pictures what we would call the sky or the atmosphere as the first heaven, mm -hmm. then what we would call space as the second heaven, and then God's realm uh, is what the third heaven is, or what he calls paradise. And this is probably made murkier in that the, the same one word in Greek is used for all three of these things. When you talk about the sky, Uranos is the, the for the sky, and then like where the sky sort of meets outer space, also Uranos, where we get the name of our planet Uranus from, or Uranus, and God's realm also Uranos. So all these things are used the same Greek word, and even going back to the Hebrew, the same word, God's realm uh, Shemayim in the Hebrew, um, is like both the sky and the waters above the sky, again, what we would call space, um, and the realm where God is, you know, the heavens, also Shemayim. So, like, mm -hmm. part of this is ancient people were okay with living with that blurriness of where are we talking about and the sort of the flow between physical reality and God's realm, and we are not as comfortable talking mm -hmm. about that. So that's our first hang-up, maybe. And so Paul talks about this place that, you know, Somebody that he knows yeah. went to go. I know a guy that went to go visit there, and it was great and amazing, and like is not able to be spoken of, to be repeated or anything. And I find that interesting because then we have, and we're not going to get into this because I mean this can be its own series of weird Bible stories. The Book of Revelation, which has all sorts of visions that nobody's allowed to repeat. <laughs> that you know, you would think like that sound very odd to our ears mm -hmm. um, just because of all the symbolism that's in there. Mm -hmm. And yet it, it speaks so much about this heavenly realm what mm -hmm. we call heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we have Paul here who's his friend has been to heaven. Yeah. And it's like, but I can't talk about it. Right. But then John, you know, however many years later. John's like writing the expose. Other writers weren't allowed to tell you. We've got the inside details. Exactly. And yet even in that book, in the book of Revelation, there are times where he'll be telling us something and then he'll say, and then I wasn't allowed to tell you the next thing I heard. Or seal up with the thunder set. Like, what? <laughs> um, and so it was just too yeah. far beyond. Yeah, yeah able to put into words. Yeah. You know, he can see it, but like, there's no way to describe it. Yeah. This, to me, is an important uh, idea for, I'll, I'll at least own for me, for my faith, and I think this is an important part of any honest wrestling with the Christian faith, is an appreciation for mystery that is going to be unresolvable, and that part of it is mm -hmm. a God who is actually God at some points is going to have to be beyond our comprehension and our words. So mm -hmm. that the mark of a good systematic theology is not that there's no wrinkles or unanswered questions. That sounds like something you've invented. Um, but something that there's always going to be something beyond or infinite or that strains mm -hmm. our mind. Yeah, that sounds like you might be onto something. It reminds me a little bit of that um, famous book by Edwin Abbott, Flatland, that does sort of the thought experiment about if you lived in a, a world that was only two dimensions, like a sheet of paper, and one of the characters uh, gets pulled up from that world and taken to our three-dimensional world, and then gets plunked back down in his two-dimensional plane mm -hmm. world and explains to people and says, I went up, and they go, you went north? And he goes, no, I went up, and they don't have the words for it because they can't conceive mm -hmm. of it. Um, that in a lot of ways the Christian faith is something like that all the time. That we 
keep trying to put in human terms what is beyond our comprehension. And sometimes we go, oh, you mean, you know, north? And God's like, no, I mean up, <laughs> you know, beyond our category. So even that notion yeah. of third heaven to me is sort of that, like, no, I'm not talking about going north. I'm not talking about going up so many miles up in the sky. I'm talking about a different kind of existence altogether. Mm-hmm. So... Paul, or Paul's friend, who may or may not actually be Paul, (laughs) has these visions, and again, if you're the person who's got mystical visions, you're going to feel like you're pretty buddy-buddy with God, right? I mean, after all, not everybody's privy to all those things that nobody else can know about. But then Paul goes on to say, I would brag about that, but God actually took me down a few pegs and instead has given me something to keep me from becoming a jerk about all this. Mm -hmm. Um, And goes on what is, I think, the second puzzling thing about this story. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, and yet he also attributes this thorn in the flesh somehow to God. So yeah. that's uncomfortable, right? <laughs> I, I never thought of, you know, um, that he kind of does it, he attributes it to both, to right. Satan and to God. I, it, I don't think that's ever struck me before. It makes me think of Job, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that whole story. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, if we're going to open that can of worms there, part of what's uncomfortable to me about that is, like, in Job's story, Job never finds out about the Satan yeah. part, right? No, nobody ever says, okay, Job, here's the thing. The, the conversation and the vindication he gets from God is sort of a, your friends were jerks, you know, uh, blaming you, mm-hmm. but Job is never brought in on the, this is a wager thing. Yeah. And I, as I can remember, an, a number of uh, professors back in seminary underscoring over and over again, that in the Hebrew scriptures especially, the figure Satan, that's not a proper name like Phil yeah. or Fred or mm-hmm. Susan, but it's a title like the prosecuting attorney, yeah. adversary, the accuser. Um, and so that this figure functions underneath God's authority. That it, we, we often make the mistake from all those terrible cartoons with the devil on one shoulder and an mm-hmm. angel on the other, that almost like the force in Star Wars, there's an upside and a downside, there's a light side and a dark side, and that they are equal and balanced. Um, but that's not the way the scriptures no. talk about God and Satan, but that Satan, even at Satan's wiliest and worst, is always somehow underneath and within the grander scheme of God's power and agency. Um, so that, yeah, something can be both Satan being his meanest and worst and trickiest mm-hmm. and most accusing, uh, and also God is up to something at the same time. Again, that's hard, because so often in pop, you know, religion conversation. Oh, bad thing? That's Satan doing it to you. Mm -hmm. Good thing? That must be God blessing you. Um, Whereas more often than not, honestly, it's Satan who's bringing the good stuff, tempting you with, you know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Um, And so here's Paul who's able to wrestle all these years later going, this terrible thing, this unpleasant thing that maybe wasn't going to kill him, a thorn in the flesh sounds like a constant nuisance, but maybe not life-threatening, but chronic. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet Somehow Satan's behind it, and yet also God is in the God allowed this to happen and doesn't take it away. Yeah. So the next question becomes, what is it? Yeah, yeah. Because that's the the million dollar question. Right. People have been wondering for two thousand years, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? Yeah. And for someone who at other times is perfectly comfortable telling us all sorts of personal details and stuff, yeah. here we would love to hear. And uh, what are some of the nominees or candidates you've heard named? Oh, illness, you know, some sort of disease. Um, I love, this is so not, you know, scholarly, but there's a cartoon I've seen on social media of Paul sitting in a jail cell and there's Spongebob chained up next to him asking him, Paul, 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 <laughs> Paul, what are you doing, Paul, what are you doing? You know, um, you know, those are just some, you know, yeah. I, I, what else have you heard? Well, like, I've, I've heard 
some kind of physical malady or sickness. Yeah. I've heard some people speculate even further that it was an eyesight thing. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Later in, or earlier rather, in uh, the, uh, the end of the book of Galatians, he makes a point about, see what big letters I'm writing with mm-hmm. as I write with my own hands, suggesting that earlier he's had um, uh, an amanuensis, a secretary writing, and finally he's writing big letters because his eyes are so bad. That's possible. Um, it's possible that there's some other malady related to that. Um, it's, I've also heard suggested uh, some kind of like spiritual warfare, sort of like the, mm-hmm. the, the you know, dark night of the soul, demonic presence kind of a thing. And others have I've suggested it's another person who just doesn't get along with, you know. Yeah. And Paul certainly has the kind of personality that seems to bring on those kind of fights from time to time. Um, and he will mention in others of his letters, I fought with Peter over this, and I fought with James over this, mm-hmm. and I'm mad at Apollos about this. And other letters, you know, you tell that terrible Crete not, you know. Yeah, I can imagine people mm-hmm. thinking Paul was an acquired taste. And again, like, interesting that Paul doesn't say, and that if it's a person, you know, like, I, they're going to hell and I wish they'd go away, but, like, God has left me stuck with this person, and I'm, I, I'm stuck with them, they're stuck with me, and somehow we got to figure out how to be church together. That's, that's uncomfortable. Um, no, matter, no matter what it is, got to live with, there's this thing that Paul didn't want in his life, and as far as Paul was concerned, his life would be better, and he could serve God better if it was removed, and God's answer is no. That, I think, is the third wrinkle that makes this a difficult Bible story. Yeah, the fact that says that God says no. Because so many times, Paul has prayed for something and has gotten a yes. Yeah. You know, Paul has prayed for healings and has gotten a yes. Paul has prayed for healings for himself and has gotten a yes. You know, Paul has been shipwrecked. He has been in jail. He, all these things have happened to Paul, and God has taken care of him and, you know, pulled him out of bad situations. And now here, you know, I don't know where probably towards the end of Paul's life, mm-hmm. you know, that this was written, you know, all of a sudden God's saying, no. Yeah, yeah. You know, how, how do you deal with that? Like, when God has seemingly always said yes to you, mm-hmm. you know, now he's saying, no, you yeah. have to deal with this. Yeah. I, I think, to me, this is one of those really important correctives that prevents us from sliding into that kind of you know, Santa Claus theology mm-hmm. of if I'm good, God will reward me. If I'm bad, God will punish me. Um, and that, again, that is so prevalent because it is, it's so simple. It's easy. Oh, good things happening. That must be God is smiling on you. Bad things happen. God must be punishing you. Um, and if the bad thing is happening, it's God telling you to do something different. And here's Paul saying, that's not how it works. And sometimes God's clear answer is, it's not that you did something wrong. This is just how it needs to be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard. I mean, like, again, it, it, I don't want to play the game of let's pit up one Bible verse against another, but you'll find other places where biblical writers say, ask whatever you will in faith. And, you know, we, we talked earlier in this series when Jesus curses the fig tree and then turns the end of that mm-hmm. conversation into, uh, if you pray and be, you believe anything you yeah. ask, it'll be done. Even you can move mountains or curse fig trees or whatever you end. That clearly has to have the, well, how do we hold that intention against this? Where Paul prayed in faith and not just mm-hmm. once, he makes a point of, Three times, and I'm guessing that does, doesn't mean like God give me, God give me, God give me. But at, you know, maybe three long seasons of his life, at three periods, again and again and mm-hmm. again in his life, he was asking God, take this away, God take this away, God take this away. And God's answer at the end of it is, No, my power is made perfect in weakness. That that means this isn't about punishing you for doing something wrong, and it's not about I'm going to teach you a lesson or make you tough, and anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's more like. My power is revealed most clearly in what looks like weakness and loss. So that's what I'm working through, Paul. That's hard. And I think that's the, you know, at least when I've heard this preached on, you know, when I've talked about this, 
you know, it's that, you know, my, my power is sufficient, you know, my, um, it is shown in weakness, like mm-hmm. not relying on our own strength. Mm-hmm. Cause again, we, we've talked about the American church and how we tend to, you know, the, the good old saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. That makes absolutely no sense when you really think about it. Right. Like you, you can't do that, but like, that's how we're taught to live is we pull ourselves by our, up by our bootstraps and God's like, no. And I'd say even further, we have this illusion, I think, because we know the phrase about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, that if somebody is standing, ah, they must have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps rather than they had any help or somebody helped them mm-hmm. up. And if somebody is failing, ah, well, they clearly don't have the initiative rather than like, no, um, sometimes we are in a position of weakness and it's not a failure to be in that place of weakness mm-hmm. as that's where you may be called to be. I know certainly in the life of the church, it is tempting to play the game of numbers and size, whether it's attendance or money or things like that. And because it is so easily tempting to treat church like a business, mm-hmm. um, to, oh, well, the churches that are succeeding are the ones with lots and lots of people or with lots and lots of money or lots and lots of social media followers or whatever, rather than the mark of being successful is being faithful. I mean, being like, mm-hmm. okay, are we doing what God's calling us to do? Um, are we holding on to what God would have us say and do and be rather than inventing something that's more marketable? Um, and again, the, the wider culture doesn't have the bandwidth to make sense of success yeah. except in terms of numbers of who's got more or more money or more people. Um, and once you accept those categories, you're, you're sort of set up for success equals more numbers, more people. Mm-hmm. And here, here Paul has been shouting from the New Testament, that's not how it works. No. Because when we try to do things out of our own power, we can do it for a while. We can do it well for a while. Mm-hmm. But if we continue to try to do God-sized things in our own power, we will eventually burn out. Sure. You know, and we will be of no use to anyone. Sure. But when we allow God to do God-sized things through us, then, you know, things actually happen. And I think that's what Paul's getting through here. Like, not that he can't do things. Mm-hmm. But God needs to be the one that initiates that movement. God needs the one that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Sure, sure. And even the, the willingness to surrender the, the size or the bigness or the magnitude of the effects of your work and say, maybe I'm not called to worry about any of that. I'm going to trust God's timing that I may never get to see what comes out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other piece about it. when you think about Paul writing so many of his letters from prison uh, and awaiting death. At some point, he had to realize, I'm not going to get to see whether I, my words yeah. make a difference. And when he'd leave a place and go somewhere, not knowing if he was going to see them again, there's a certain amount of, I might hear, you know, uh, by the rumor mill or secondhand from somebody else traveling how things are going, but I'm planting seeds, and like, like Paul will say in others of his mm-hmm. letters, I, I'm going to have to leave this in God's hands to give the growth, which means if you're the person whose job is just planting seeds, it looks like all you've left is a bare patch of dirt, right? Um, and the growth that comes out of it later on, you may not get to see if you've moved on to the next place, the next thing. And recognizing that's in part of how God mm-hmm. works rather than you'll know it, that you're successful because you've got a million people or a million followers on social media or a, you know, a million dollar endowment or whatever. That's, that's not how it works. And I think, especially for us as religious professionals, I mean, I think it's true for all Christians, but sure. for us as religious professionals, this is an encouragement. Mm-hmm. At least I, I take it that way because, you know, I can, I can work and work and work and work and work and, you know, hopefully God's doing the work through me, but like, yeah. and I might never 
never see the outcome. Very much like Paul. Yeah. You know, especially in my denomination with, you know, as we move mm-hmm. more regularly, like I might start something in this church, but it won't ever come to fruition until the pastor after me or the right. pastor after them. Right. You know, um, and I might never know what exactly came of that. Yeah. Um, but if Paul can accept that, yeah. you know, this man who, you know, laid the groundwork along with the disciples for the early church, you know, then how much more I'm just continuing into the into his steps. Yeah. It it makes sense then to me that also in Paul's letters to the Corinthians you get that idea where he says, you know that no matter what your labor isn't in vain. That like that mm-hmm. that notion had to have been important for Paul because he's constantly I'm doing my best here and then I go and I got to lead these people to go to the next place, next town, next need and he's gotta have left himself wondering sometimes did I make a difference? Did I did I do enough? Was I important? Yeah. You know, did I say the right words? And to trust, okay, I'm not going to get to see what the end of this story is till glory. I'm going to trust that whatever good I've done isn't in vain, mm-hmm. that God's able to take that alongside the times that I blow it as well. And I guess that's the other piece that I find both humbling and comforting out of a passage in a story like this, is that sometimes the temptation is for us as you know religious professionals to think what we bring to God that God can use is our strengths and more often than not, maybe, like the things that God actually works through best are the things that we felt were failures, you know? Um, yeah. And that if the the thing we're proudest of, you know, brings a lot of people in, then we get to be the hero. If the thing that we're like, well, I did my best and I blew it, and yet still something good comes out of it, it's clear this was a God mm-hmm. thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that's just it. When when we think that our, our lives of faith are, here, God, I'm going to be your superhero all-star because you can use all my strengths, we're really just looking for ways for us to be the hero. But if we can say, here, God, I bring you all my weakness and my failures and my you know broken places and watch what you do with that, um, that's powerful stuff. There, there's a, a line of uh, Richard Lisher's in his book, The End of Words, that comes to mind. He talks about the difference between a profession and a vocation. And he says, uh, in, in common talk, a profession is when you think you're giving the best of what you're good at, and you hear God, I'm going to give you what I'm good at so that you can use it for whatever. And he says a vocation is when you're able to say to God something like, here's the things I'm not very good at, and mm-hmm. I trust that you, you can use me even in things I'm not very good at. And there's something really powerful about that idea, that in the end, who gets to be the one with the credit or the glory, to borrow Paul's phrase, you know, way of talking about it, if, if I'm only showing the things that I'm good at, um, that's a way of me getting to be the hero and patting mm-hmm. myself on the back. If it's um, these things happened despite the fact that I failed or blew it or whatever, there it's clear that it's a God thing. It reminds me of that scene at the end of uh, A Wrinkle in Time when the one character, maybe it's Mrs. Watts, it says to Meg that the gift she's giving to Meg is her anger. And Meg is upset that, like, what kind of a crummy gift is that, you know? <laughs> um, and because she's seen her anger as this this flaw, this weakness all along, and the response back is, "No, you're going to need your anger for this final confrontation against the the, the villain that they're facing." But that sometimes the things we think of as only weaknesses turn out to be the things exactly that we need, or that God's able to do the the greatest things through. Well, I think we, I'll speak for myself. I tend to forget sometimes. We know the story of Paul's conversion, mm-hmm. um, and how he went from persecuting the church to, you know, leading the church and writing you know, a good chunk of the New mm-hmm. Testament and all that. Um, you know, Paul realizes what his strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and and he gets that um, half-formed thought. I'm to, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so often, again, I'll, I'll speak for myself, we, we 
like to recognize our strengths, but we hate to admit our weaknesses. Yeah. Um, but it is truly like, like, like we've said, you know, in those times, in those areas where I am not strong, where I am trying to grow as a leader, um, as I'm, where I'm trying to grow as a Christian, that I'm finding um, that God's beginning to work in and, and starting to use me in those areas yeah. um, that I would have never expected. Like, that's not something I do. That's not, you know, I never thought I would be a preacher because I right. hate public speaking. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and yet every Sunday I get up in front of a group of people and, and I share. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of what I thought was a weakness of mine mm-hmm. um, all through high school and college. And God's used it to, you know, hopefully... Um, despite myself <laughs> and my failings, to share the good news with others. I remember a, uh, my professor for preaching back in seminary had this rule of thumb that has stayed with me. He used to say, never tell a story in a sermon where you're the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to think it was just a matter of not coming across as pretentious or arrogant. But the more I think about it, the more I think there's something that was deeply gospel about it. That like, if the approach of the preacher is, here's this time when I did the right thing and I did a good job, yeah. At best, you're saying other people, you should copy me, which is basically turning the faith into a goofus and gallant cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, do do this good thing and you'll be good. Do this bad thing and you'll be punished or scolded or whatever. And that's not gospel. That's earn it yourself by your own goodness or your yeah. own achievements. And if instead the stories we tell are, here's the time when I blew it and look how grace came through. Mm-hmm. Or look how God is able to work in spite of my weakness. Or even stories where we're just observers who you know watch something else amazing happen that's powerful because yeah. then it's not like you have to copy this thing uh and do as i do but more like even on the days when you did your best and you blew it or you had no idea what to mm-hmm. do you look back and you wish you could have done it differently god can be at work in the midst of that in spite of us and as well as through us now we're talking about gospel and not religious self-help yeah um so this is this is not the end of the whole Bible, but we're approaching the end of our series here. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we've spent a lot of different times talking about stories that we just like shake our hands and go like well, that was weird, I, I guess I want to let this be the the a moment to say clearly we're not at the end of all the weird Bible stories. Mm-hmm. And somewhere down the road, maybe we'll go for another sifting through other stories that we have not yet uh, approached. There's plenty more to, to explore. But to treat our engagement with the scriptures like this, that like there's these treasures to explore and not only to just stick with the verses that you have embroidered on a pillow or memorized once mm-hmm. upon a time or saw in a Sunday school lesson, but to explore. And like we started said at the beginning of this, sometimes you come across a story or a passage or a verse that perplexes or troubles or frustrates you and to wrestle that until it gives you a blessing like Jacob yeah. uh, in that story. Um because God's in the midst of those things and not just the things that are clear and easy to memorize. Because like this this story in particular is one of those, out of all the stories that we've done that are weird mm-hmm. Bible stories, this is probably one of the more familiar story-not-story kind of kind of deals. But yet, you know, in, in our conversation and our wrestling with this passage, it has brought to light for me things that I've just never noticed before. Mm-hmm. So it, it's worth... Um, whether the story be weird or normal or somewhere in between, mm-hmm. it's worth digging into until, like you said, you get that blessing and, and God reveals to you like what you need to hear yeah. from that passage. T- to me, that says, too, something we said at the beginning of this whole series, too, is the value of 
doing that exploration of the stories and wrestling with them not alone, but with other people who help mm -hmm. us see the things that we missed before or frame a question in a way we'd never thought of before or bring an insight. And it's not necessarily that someone else will have an answer we didn't, but sometimes they bring a perspective that yeah. lifts something up that we've never noticed before. And that, I think, is part of what helps us avoid the bias of, I know how this story goes, I'm not going to be surprised mm -hmm. by it anymore, I already know how it goes, we dust off our hands. But part of how we allow even the stories we think are familiar to have their own holy weirdness to them yeah. and poke at us is reading with other people and letting letting them unsettle us and then bring us to somewhere new. So that's what we've been trying to do in this series, and we hope you'll join us uh, next time around when we gather. Hopefully we'll have a third person around <laughs> our microphone yet again and uh, new adventures waiting for us here on Crazy Faith Talk. Join us then. See y'all.